Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester United weekly podcast with me, Jack Tate. I'm talking to you just a few short hours after Manchester United's gut punch of a one-all draw with Crystal Palace. After seemingly heading for one of those nights that goes down as a bad performance turned scrappy win, Casemiro's booking that rules him out of the trip to the Emirates this weekend, and Michael Olise's late equaliser turned the night sour. In the grand scheme of things, United's form after the World Cup still reads extremely impressively, Although the manner of this result at Selhurst Park leaves us all feeling a little down this evening. Given the unfortunate ending to the Palace game, neither Harry, myself or probably most of you want to dwell too much on tonight's game. Instead, you'll be hearing an unusually long preview of the massive away trip to Arsenal this weekend. Earlier this week, I sat down with John McKenzie, tactics expert at TIFO Football with The Athletic, to dissect the similarities of facing Arsenal and Man City, how United could fare if they set up similarly to how we did in the Manchester derby, and some of the key individual battles that could define the game. Sit back and enjoy this bumper, tactics-focused preview. If you enjoy these longer previews, let us know on Twitter or by leaving us a review. You can find Harry on Twitter at HarryRobinson64, myself at UTD Tate and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. We'll be back with normal service being resumed on Monday as we go through what happens in the Arsenal game, hopefully looking back at a famous United victory that puts us firmly in the title race. Enjoy the preview, forget tonight and roll on Sunday. Delighted to be joined now by John McKenzie, tactics guru of TIFO Football at, for The Athletic. John, thank you so much for joining us, mate. How, how are you doing? Yeah, doing really well. Yes, it's a pleasure to be chatting to you. It's been We're recording this on Monday afternoon after a bumper weekend of Premier League football. I'm in a good mood, John, as you might expect, after the Manchester derby. But we're going to be looking ahead to another huge game for United this weekend against Arsenal. Big game for United's potential title race credentials, which Harry and I are still very lukewarm about, to say the least. Before we specifically get into that game, I quickly wanted to touch on United results-wise have obviously gone up a gear since we've resumed football, domestic football back from the World Cup. From your point of view, what do you think, if anything, has, has changed at United in terms of the way we've approached games, the way we've performed in games, or has it more been a case of just big players hitting form at the right time? 
Well, I think you've had a lot of winnable games in a row after the World Cup. I think it's worth saying that. I know that's maybe a bit of a, a, bit of a, a downer uh, approach to things. Um, but it, it, it's a fascinating thing, Manchester United's development this season, right? Because they brought in Eric Ten Hag. He tried to maybe go a little bit too hard, too fast. That didn't work out. And then you had to get into the situation where he could attain stability, I think. That's the thing that they've done so well since those early months uh, in the in the season the beginning of this season and the way that they've done that I think is by just going back to basics on a lot of things being a very solid team um, hard to break down defensively um, I think the out of possession stuff has has been improving a lot um, there was games against Chelsea and Spurs that particularly stood out for me in terms of the out of possession stuff and what they were, what they were doing there um, and yeah, you've got to a position where you are able to beat those teams. I've said these are teams that you probably should be able to beat, but I think you had maybe seven or eight games of against teams where you probably should beat them and you beat them yeah. all. And that's that's a, 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 a position that I think maybe in the past you haven't been in um, so readily. So definitely imp- improvements there. And then the Manchester derby, again, an interesting game because it feels as though when you see those bigger games there's not a huge amount of difference between the way that you're playing in those games um, as you were under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, now, completely. The out-of-possession stuff is is different and better, I think. But you're still looking to uh, reduce the opposition getting a lot of chances and then hit them in counter-attacking situations. So in terms of what has changed at, at Manchester United, I would say primarily results. And that's, that's an important thing. Yeah. Um, but... There, there is also these little things that are percolating under the surface and they're really important things. I think the, the, the concept of control is very important to Eric Ten Hag. He wants to be able to control games. He wants to make sure that he's not going to give away more than he generates. That's really important. But I think all of this, underlying all of it, is, the, is this idea that if you can get the, the team to a solid sort of performance level, regardless of results, then Eric Ten Hag can then start making the really difficult the, the, you know, the final difficult moves that he needs to make in order to take Manchester United from being what I would see as, you know, a, a top four challenger to being a title challenger. I don't think I know that a lot of Manchester United fans will want to think that that step has been made now. The table doesn't lie, John. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't, don't start. I've had that all, all morning on my Twitter, but th- there is a step that needs to be made that where you can move from being, you know, a team who are solid, um, solid sort of top top six team who are going to be beating the teams that they need to beat and able to get results against the other teams in the top six. But at the moment, Manchester United still have a step to, to go, which is to become a dominant team of the sort of standard of Arsenal and Manchester City. Um, and even though you have just beaten them, I do think that there is a step up to what, what it is that Man City can do. Um, and that's going to be the big the big question of, of how the, the future goes. But Eric Ten Hag has got to a point now where he can do that. Yeah. That's the that's almost the hardest thing to do. How many managers have Manchester United had now where they they have good managers in, but they haven't been able to get that kind of buy-in from everyone, the players, the fans and the board. Uh, and I feel like Ten Hag has done that by playing this maybe slightly muted football, mm-hmm. uh, which gets results. And, and it's really impressive. I said on, um, I was on the Devils in the Detail podcast the other day, and I said, Eric Ten Hag is the worst thing to happen to Manchester United for a Leeds United fan. <laughs> uh, because, because he has... 
he's achieved that holy grail, right? Which was stability. Yeah. That's what Manchester United didn't have since 2013. No stability. And now that stability is there. And it feels as though the club is heading in the right direction because of that. Yeah, it's, it's the old adage, you know, results buy you so much time as a football manager. And I think it's, you know, Solskjaer had done some of that when he first came in, but obviously at that point he was only interim. And, and really... In, in his tenure since then and Mourinho's tenure before that, no coach had ever really got to this point where there was such buy-in from everyone around the club. And in, in some Solskjaer's ways... was interesting you bring him up because Solskjaer for me was like the, the, the ceiling of this approach where, you know, you're going to you're gonna beat some big teams occasionally and you're going to beat smaller teams a lot of the time. And people, and fans like that, right? Fans like to be a team that wins more often than they, than they lose. But with Solskjaer, you were never going to get to that level of making that final step to become an elite side. And that's what you're going to get now with, with Eric Ten Hag. So a lot of it still feels similar to the sorts of things that Solskjaer was doing. If you look at it in the, in the, at the micro level, there's still going to be games that you win against big sides and winning games against the, the, the smaller sides more often than not. But I think that Eric Ten Hag is going to make that step up now so that you can start challenging uh, teams like Manchester City and, and Arsenal at the level that they're at. Yeah, and I think United managers in the post-Alex Ferguson era, especially since David Moyes, you know, you've got like Van Gaal and Mourinho in this type where the ceiling is maybe there. With Mourinho, it's slightly more questionable, but he's proven it in the past at least. But they sort of weren't able to get to the point where we're at now, where you feel like just getting the squad to play up to the, the potential of the players in the squad, just creating that stable base. Solskjaer was then really good at that first part, but maybe didn't have the ceiling. You know, Ten Hag has shown that now he's sort of done that first part. We think there's been proof in the past, especially from his time at Ajax, that he can go on and get us to that ceiling. And that is sort of now the next step, I think, for this team. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. So moving more specifically onto the, the Arsenal game at the weekend, how would you sort of sum up at, at sort of a high level the way that these two teams stack up tactically? Because you had the game earlier on in the season. I think both teams have evolved quite significantly since then. How, how do you sort of view this, this matchup between the two teams and how their systems might play against each other? Well, I think it's going to be exactly the same as the, the game against Manchester City, right? I think structurally yeah. the same sorts of ideas will be being played out. Um, and what those ideas were, were uh, obviously Arsenal will be copying Man City. They're going to have a very specific approach in build-up, um, particularly deep, deep build-up. They've got a few different diff different solutions that they can offer in deep build-up. So, for example, Manchester United in uh, sorry Manchester City in the derby went with a flat-back four in build-up to start off with. Uh, that didn't work out too well, despite the fact that I think that maybe Pep Guardiola wanted to try and uh, generate problems for Manchester United out wide. Yeah. And so they switched it up in the second half. They went they went to their more narrow, compact build-up structure. So uh, one of the fullbacks inverting. Um, and making everything quite quite compact, and they did a lot to try and break down Manchester United's player to player approach in the midfield area. So you'll get your pivot player dropping out between the centre backs to try and pull their marking responsibility out. We saw Kevin De Bruyne moving, trying to move Fred around a little bit more, um, and with the the extra player in the midfield area in Kyle Walker, that that um, potentially poses problems for Manchester United's pressing approach as well there. Um, I think Erling Haaland dropped in a lot more as well. So the, the idea there was to pull around midfielders who need to stay central into wider areas or deeper areas um, and and then move other players into the middle to then try and dominate those sorts of battles. And to be honest with you, I think largely that worked. I think Manchester City, Manchester United were really good in the first half, keeping City quiet. Um, they changed, City changed their structure up. Manchester United 
deservedly went behind. Um, and then in the in the final 20 minutes, you really upped the the intensity. Um, you'd brought um, Anthony on as a nine, and that hadn't really worked. Move him out wide, and suddenly your your pressing was back up again. Um, and obviously, because City had the goal, they were they were trying to sort of take the sting out of the game a little bit, and you really took it to them. Obviously, a massive stroke of luck with. Right. Uh, the first goal, regardless of, of of what we want to talk about with respect to the 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 I's and T's dotted and crossed <laughs> of the rules, but um, that changed it. And I think at that point, I think Manchester City's heads will have just probably been a bit rattled by yeah. by that. As we've seen a few times and... under Guardiola, in fairness. Sure, sure, yeah, and a case of you know here here we go again. This yeah. sort of thing is happening. Um, but I think you know, look, you played played really well in the final twenty. Got a big chunk of XG in that in that part of the game. Um, but for me, the big challenge is going to be the same with Arsenal. It's going to be Arsenal are going to try and build up through you and you'll probably try and stodge up the middle again, try and make it hard for them to do that. Question is going to be, can Arteta find that solution that, that causes the, the breakthrough of the goal? Um, and you're going to try and hit on the break. And, yeah. you know, it works because it worked last weekend, but it is a, a sort of high variance approach, right? You're, you're, you're trying to keep a, a very good attacking team quiet and then yeah. take your chances when they come. Um, so I think it will be much of the same uh, going into that game. Um, so, yeah, fascinating. And with, with the results going the way that they've gone, everything's sort of really nicely poised at the, at the very top of the table. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, you mentioned it's a high variance approach, which I completely agree with. And it also feels like a, an approach that's very dependent on not conceding an early goal. Because you you can see an early goal like Spurs, you know Spurs, you know formation wise set up very differently to United, but I think in that general approach of soak up the pressure, use our our, our pace and our ability to hit on the counter attack. You know they concede after 15 minutes uh, yesterday, and you know that game plan goes out the window. And I think that's the, also the big challenge for United because concede an early goal against City or this weekend against Arsenal, and then you you kind of have to take the game to the opposition as we did in the final 20 against City at the weekend, but it's much easier to do that when there's 20 minutes left rather than 70. Yeah, and this is why it's really important that the out-of-possession approach that Eric Ten Hag has, uh, has, has brought in at Manchester United is there because I think I've just done a podcast this morning on the TFO football podcast and we've talked a lot about how Antonio Conte seems to have like two temperatures when it comes to pressing. You know, that, yeah. Well, we'll sit in a low block and absorb pressure and then try and generate space that we can then transition into, uh, albeit through through trying to, to build up through a press. But if you can't do that, then you'll just end up lumping it long yeah. um, and then just allowing the ball to come back to you and, right. and, and you, you sort of get into, into that mindset. Whereas in the second half, City, uh, sorry, talking about too many teams here. Um, Spurs, Spurs came out and were a lot more aggressive in their high press, uh, caused Arsenal a, a lot of problems in that in that high pressing, uh, and then seemed to get back into the game a bit. Certainly in terms of the underlying numbers. So, uh, what I think with what Ten Hag offers is like maybe something in between that, which is to retain to retain control in the central areas of the pitch, which means that you're then not just either exhausting yourself with constant high pressing. Um, or just sitting deep and allowing a good team to have a lot of possession because if you do that, then you will get killed at, at that part of the, in that part of the table. So super important for Manchester United has been the ability for Manchester United to control games to an extent in the centre of the park without just simply being... And that's the difference between Ten Hag and Solskjaer, I would say, is that with Solskjaer, you never felt that the out-of-possession stuff matched the in-possession stuff. And now there's a lot more balance between those two. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. And if United were to approach this game very similarly to how we did in the City game, where you know we sort of had Martial, Eriksson, Rashford, Fernandez as 
a press that it wasn't a high press, but quite high up the pitch at least. And Rashford and Fernandez were very narrow, and we sort of forced City to go wide, which is it. Quite, it kind of worked. There were a few moments very early on, like you mentioned, where Cancelo made some good forward runs. Man City never quite exploited that space out wide. I guess the thing that I'm slightly worried about going into the Arsenal game is that it feels like Arsenal have much more ability in those wide areas with Saka and Martinelli to actually just take that battle on and go at whether it's Wan-Bissaka, Malassia or Dallow and Shaw, take them on as 1v1s, get the overlaps with the fullbacks. It feels like they are more suited maybe to be able to play in those wide areas than Man City are. Yeah, absolutely. You don't need me on this podcast to know, <laughs> you know all the answers. But yeah, Arsenal are playing a lot better than Manchester City at the moment anyway, as a base level. Uh, but yes, I think there's there's definitely different profiles of fullbacks that are available to the two managers. So we saw Joao Cancelo and uh, Kyle Walker being played um, in the in the Manchester derby. And the, I mean, more recently, Kyle Walker has been played as sort of an outside centre back hybrid fullback. Um, you want to you want him to be in that in that three at the back when they when they shift into that shape in possession. Um, but also, he's like a very you can you can invert him, but he's also very very good at defensive transition. So you you want to make sure that he's not going to be getting too far forward. Uh, he's not really like a final third, certainly not now. A, a final third creator. Uh, same with Joao Cancelo, he's going to want to cut inside generally and um, uh, and operate in half spaces. And I think, yeah, he, he can be good at progressing the ball in those wide areas. But um, when you consider that, that Arsenal have a number of players they can play as classic fullbacks, um, so you've got Ben White on, on, on the one side, like Ben White may be similarities with with Carl Walker in a lot of respects, but he does, he does, uh, he is like a ball carrier and progressor in that wide space. Um, and then you can use Kieran Tierney, can use Zinchenko, Zinchenko does use uh, operate as a as a more sort of classic fullback in that sense, etc. Um, etc. Et so yeah, the big question is going to be how much problem they can cause in those wide areas. And the reason those wide areas become so problematic is that Manchester United go with a high press of three players against a back four. Um, so you, if if you're smart in build up, you can always manipulate them to create a free player. In the fullback, and usually what happens, most elite teams would have their fullback jump in those situations. So, let's say that um, let's say that um, uh, Ramsdale is going to play the ball to Ben White in the right back area, right. and in the lead up to the the build up, what's happened is the Manchester United front three have gone on the opposite side fullback, and then the two centre backs with their front three. So Ben White is in space. Ramsdale plays one of those wedge passes into. Um, in, into Ben White. Usually, what most teams would do in in elite football is have their fullback jump on the other fullback there, so run all the way down the field and put them under pressure. But Manchester yeah. United aren't doing that. Uh, I think because again, like Ten Hag wants to prioritise solidity over over anything else. Um, and and is, is that because you think the pushing your, your own fullback on that much it just creates a much more precarious situation if you win the ball back great you're much higher up the pitch but if they're able to beat that player there's obviously a lot more coming back so Ten Hag's taking a slightly more cautious approach maybe I think that's the the only explanation really I can think of um, I've seen people suggesting that like he likes to control the build-up in certain ways so it's almost like sorry control the opposition build-up in certain ways so you want to force the ball towards the weakest player in the build-up for the opposition. Right. But I mean, when you're coming up against teams like Man City and, and Arsenal, like that becomes pretty much a moot point. <laughs> yeah. They have good players, um, so I don't know. But yeah, I, I think it's more to do with that. They don't want to. They don't want to see the the, the sort of um, the, the defensive um, aspect of, of the back line, uh, and then generate these spaces. I mean, this is what's killed 
Liverpool, right? In, yeah. In the last season, they've they they push uh, Alexander Arnold and and um, Trent Trent Alexander and that, blah, blah, blah. Alexander Arnold and um, Andy Robertson on the other side, and they allow this space in behind, so you, uh, effectively oppositions can just progress the ball in the channel in behind the fullback. The back line has to then become one player short, and you know on on Robertson's side, Van Dijk becomes the de facto defending left back. And then what what teams are doing then is overloading Trent Alexander-Arnold at the back post because they know he's a bit weaker in the air. Uh, get the ball into that area, get the cross to the back post, and, and you can cause problems in that way. Um, and I just think Eric Ten Hag just doesn't want to risk that. So he would rather allow the opposition to progress the ball in that space into a fullback rather than behind a fullback. Um, the other thing is, it could. I mean, the the big question is, is going to be like, is that going to change in the future when when maybe Manchester United players get a little bit more comfortable with switching marking responsibilities and stuff? But at the moment, that's that's the way that it is. And I thought that City could cause quite a few problems potentially just getting the ball to the fullback and running into that space. Um, but actually, it turned out that they were able to open up the centre a lot more and were much more dangerous in the second half there. So, yeah, I think that's what we need to watch out for, whether or not the same sort of thing happens, whether or not um, Arsenal are able to exploit that space a little bit more. I suspect probably yes, because I feel like Arsenal, you know, you've already said they've got Martinelli on one side and Saka on the other, who feel a little bit more uh, important in terms of uh, build-up build up players for, for, for Arsenal were maybe the, the wide players for, for Man City and then you've got players like Erdogan and, and Xhaka in the middle then who if you do drag the play one side or the other you can then play those out balls into them in the centre and and we saw what Erdogan can do from from that sort of distance and space um, and in Nketiah you, you probably have a striker who's maybe slightly more naturally used to being involved in build-up than, than Haaland is for City even though he did drop deep it's just not his natural game yeah absolutely absolutely so then if, going, going from this sort of high level to the last thing some some of the key battles on the pitch one player I, in particular I want to focus on is Martin Odegaard you mentioned him been probably alongside Marcus Rashford one of the form players in the Premier League we saw United against Man City deploy sort of kind of this man marking style system with especially Fred the big focus on Kevin De Bruyne do you expect that Ten Hag would go with something similar with Fred on Martin Odegaard and if so do you think that Erdegaard is... Well, I mean, City did kind of take advantage of it in the second half, but in the first half, at least, you know, we didn't really see them take advantage of the disadvantages that that, that system kind of brings about. Yeah, I suppose the thing that I would be thinking is if Arsenal are playing pretty much the same like overall style as Manchester City, then Arteta will look at the game at the weekend and will know what's at stake. So he'll know... He'll he'll look at that and say first half flat back four trying to build up in wide areas, second half central build up try and overload the centre but pull players out and generate space in the middle. Um, that doesn't mean to say that he won't come out and play with a flat back four um, and and try and actually get the advantages that Guardiola was trying to get in the first half and say I think we're better placed to do that because of our personnel. Um, or he may just come out. And, and start off straight away with that with that sort of overload the centre and, and pull players around. And, you know, the, the problem, I, th I think, with the way that Manchester United are approaching these big games is that going man for man in midfield is just so risky against yeah. any sort of talent um, talented team. Because I can remember back in the days when it was Ander Herrera doing this, just kicking Eden Hazard around Stamford Bridge for, for yeah, half an hour. Yeah, I remember that game too. Yeah, and, and it obviously works because, like, no one has... 
No, no one does that so with with so much regularity. Leeds United are another great example of that, right? First season yeah. in the Premier League, man-to-man system, teams just not used to the intensity, not used to the transitional uh, sort of breakdown that occurs. Second season, everyone recognises, oh, all you need to do is generate space for your centre-back to run into, pull players out of the way, cause all of these problems for man-markers where they have to question whether or not the player that they're marking is less dangerous than the player on the ball and it, it, it will fall down eventually and that's the risk that, that Eric Ten Hag is going to run with this approach um, will will a team like Arsenal be good at, at sort of causing those sorts of problems so dropping your pivot player in, in out, out of the um, of, of the middle to pull a player wide to, to pull a player deeper um, pulling central players wide when there's space there and, and moving wide players into the middle um, so that it causes problems for your marking system as well. Um, I suspect, personally, my gut is that Arteta will come out with some kind of maybe 3-2 system in build-up, so push one of the uh, fullbacks inside, invert them, uh, and see what that does to uh, Manchester United's approach. Um, and then, yeah, have lots of... I think the, the trick as well for Manchester City in the in the derby was they played a lot quicker in the second half. Uh, and again, that's 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 just a pure response to man marking approaches in the middle. Um, because if you do that and you even just carrying the ball, and that happened a lot more, I felt in the second half. Um, if you're carrying the ball, you're pulling players out of position and you're cr- creating space. Um, and a team like City, who are going to be super structurally aware they're always going to try and get players into different parts of the pitch once they start doing that then it becomes much harder to match them player for player as well I mean that that's really where City's goal came from it, not necessarily from a ball carrier but Fred was dragged out of position he ends up kind of playing as like a left wing back because Walker's down on the floor Malassia's with him and then De Bruyne comes into that left kind of half space and that's where the, the chance of the goal comes from I think these are all you know the point you made there at the start saying that you know, it's it's tricky to do this twice in a row. It's, tr- it's tricky to do anything twice in a row unless you really are incredible at executing it. And especially in out of possession stuff, it is it once you have one game to study and what an opposition could produce in this game, you you can plan for it much easier. It took Man City a half to adjust. Arteta's had you know ninety minutes to watch this this system in place. Yeah, you have to be lucky to have it work once in a row, right? That's, yeah, the, that's the that's the the long and short of it is that most teams and, and really it only work for forty five minutes effectively. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then in the second half, massive swing of luck with the actual first goal, and then you know yeah. anything can happen after that point. And yeah, again, you th- this is not me saying that Manchester United were lucky to get a win against against Manchester City, um, but you, you you know you almost have to be lucky to get to a point where you can earn a win. Yeah. against a team like Man City and there's no shame in saying that and um, uh, there's a lot of teams who've you know played really really well against Manchester City and lost and look but for that goal if that goal is disallowed there's every chance that that, that the result would have gone the other way as well so it's just it's just one of those tricky things you've just got to take it and say look at this at this point in time it, the, the, these sorts of results are, are, are almost like bonus because in the long run this isn't the way that you're going to be wanting to play against teams like Man- Manchester City um, so yeah I think you, you take these sorts of results as bonus and um, if you can get two in a row brilliant um, if you only get one of those two I still think it's a really good um, a really good um, t- turn of um, output but also like a really good indicator of how far this team have come under Eric Ten Hag as yeah. well yeah, massively. We, Harry and I talked a lot on the the weekend episode just about even symbolically how this game felt like a big 
deal for this team just to, as, as evidence of how far you have come since the 6-3 to now beat Man City 2-1. And, and in fairness, I think, you know, Ten Hag said himself after the game that United were good in the first half, poor in the second. He said, you know, he admitted the goal was very lucky, which, you know, we, I think we all acknowledge. So I think there is an, I don't, I think some of the media coverage maybe has, has been sensationalizing a little bit of what Man United produced in that game. But I think mm. Eric Ten Hag at least seems to understand that, you know, this probably wasn't the kind of game where United dominated and absolutely 100% deserved to win. I think we probably did enough in the game to win, but there was a lot of luck involved in, in making that happen. Yeah, and it's worth saying as well that this is the same approach that you used in that first game, right? You went yeah. very player for player in the midfield and it absolutely didn't work. Um, so it's worth remembering that, like, one, you've 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 come out with the same sort of tactic and, and had the result re- reversed the other way. But two, that does suggest that, you know, that's how much of a knife edge it can be against a team like City. Like, get a few goals and they're just going to run away with it, um, playing that system as well. So it's, it's high variance, as I say. Um, but, you, yeah, Manchester United played really, really disciplined um, game through the first half and, and in the second as well. And then to, to have that, the, the wherewithal to then not give up when the first goal goes in and to have the, enough in the tank to then just go very aggressive, uh, get City in their build-up at the back and, and come away with you know a couple of goals, regardless of how lucky. like That's still a really good indicator of where the team is at mentally as well. Yeah, no, massively. And I think that's where some of the intangibles of some players like Casemiro and Varane and Bruno Fernandes adding a little bit of, of steel to this team has you know, been a big part in this uptick in form that we've that we've seen recently. You mentioned that it is a high variance approach, and I think that's why the end game for this Eric Ten Hag Manchester United team is to be able to have control on the ball in these games. You know, I, I don't think this is something that we will see for the next, you know, three, four years under Eric Ten Hag. I think it is, as you mentioned before, it, it was the way that we've played all season has kind of been a response to going too far onto sort of the dogmatic end of the scale in those first couple of games. And I think we're still seeing that. It, I think the interesting thing for me now is how long United stay in this sort of in-between stage and at what point Ten Hag really tries to shift to becoming a more dominant team on the ball in the mould of an Arsenal or a Man City. Yeah, and it's worth remembering that Eric Ten Hag was brought in as an Ajax manager to Manchester United. Like Ajax do not need to play this way against yeah. any team in their division. The, the ideal is to be able to get back to that sort of position as a, as a Manchester United team. Uh, obviously, the the league is a lot more competitive, I would say, at the top end, the Premier League. Yeah. So it's not going to be exactly the same, but the ideal is going to be to be able to get to those that sort of position where you're able to dominate those go- games in every phase and not have to be um, reliant on the opposition not taking the chances when they come up. But yeah, I think everything is heading in the right direction. Yeah, and, and that really brings us full circle to what we said at the beginning, that the challenge for Ten Hag was... We know that you can do the really high ceiling stuff. You've proven that at Ajax. Can you get us to a point where you even have the time and the ability to make those changes? And, you know, he's sort of done that, having gone away from some of his principles now. Sort of the next step of the journey is, can we get to where that, somewhere close to where the Ajax team played anyway? Like I say, as a Leeds fan, all of this is totally disgusting. <laughs> terrifies me. So, yeah, that's, I think, uh, the best indicator that I can give of, of, of how well Eric Ten Hag has done. Well, I won't force you to talk about it for one more minute. John, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Where can everyone find you on, on socials? Yeah, just go to Twitter at John underscore McKenzie and uh, you'll find me there too regularly, and, I'm afraid. But. <laughs> and you've also started a new uh, Twitter account posting, reposting other people's tactics threads, haven't you? Which I've thoroughly enjoyed reading. 
Yeah, I just wanted to maybe give a little bit more exposure to a lot of the really good work that is done out there. Obviously, I don't just sit down in front of a TV and come up with all my own ideas. I, I benefit from really smart people out there. So, yeah, it's called um, Apt Tactics Archive if you're interested in that. And all I do is I literally share the pieces that I read or threads that I read or videos that I see that I think are really good and useful and, and share them in there. There's no fluff beyond that. So if you want to just get a nice source of, uh, of tactics writing or blogging or threading, then, then head over there. Yeah, very good Twitter account. I thoroughly enjoyed reading everything you've been sharing, John. Again, thank you so much for joining us and fingers crossed I'll be, I'll be coming back to you next week after a United win. <laughs> Although maybe not for yourself as a Leeds fan. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not looking forward to our games either. But... <laughs> Well, I did, I did see that you shared earlier about uh, maybe Iriola coming in as a, a true kind of um, Bielsa spirit replacement after Jesse Marsh. Yeah, that would be, that would be wonderful. But you know, <laughs> good, things, good things never happen unless you're a Man United fan. So, <laughs> And on that note, it's time to end, everyone. Thank you so much for watching. We're recording this on Monday. As I said, you'll hear from me, will have already heard from me talking about the Crystal Palace game. Fingers crossed we're already winning that one and we can go on and roll on to the Emirates on Sunday. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye. Network.